Thank you for downloading the PR Week, PR Week's weekly podcast. For more podcasts as well as breaking news, visit PRWeek.com. Hello and welcome to the PR Week, PR Week's regular weekly roundup of everything that matters in the worlds of PR and communications. My name is Steve Barrett. I'm the editorial director of PR Week and I guide you gently through another show. It's the last week of summer. Listeners, Labor Day is looming, so make the most of it, and we'll all be back next week. We're going to be back in the office at Haymarket and PR Week, two or three days a week. So, yeah, enjoy the rest of the summer. We have got our regular co-host with us this week. Frank Washgook is here. How are you doing, Frank? I'm doing okay, Steve. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, and a brilliant guest this week is Bob Gold, president and founder of Bob Gold and Associates. Bob, how are you? I am doing fantabulous. It's a great day in LA. It's going to be over 90 degrees with a heat dome. And so we're closing the office this afternoon. The whole staff, we're going to the beach. Now, now you're just making us jealous now, but that sounds good. That sounds like the way to get people back into the office. You're only two blocks away, aren't you? So that sounds fantastic. Nice uh, summer afternoon at the beach. Sounds good to me. So we'll chat to Bob and then we'll talk about some of the stories this week. eBay. Their comms manager found a pearl. What's that all about? He became the story. NFL season is kicking off, so we'll talk about that. How Be Real could be a unique way to reach consumers. Instacart managed to get food into the VMAs. That's not easily done. So why is Moderna suing Pfizer? I thought they were all friends in vaccinations. And then Republican office holders are pushing back on ESG. So we'll talk about all those things. But Bob, let's chat to you first. Your agency is 25 years old this year. So you're actually just a tad older than PR Week US because we started in 1998 and we're celebrating our 25th next year. So first of all, congratulations. And tell us how you're feeling. 25 years. You started it up in 97. Did you ever think you'd be celebrating a 25th? No, I never, ever did. And I I have to tell you, I look this young. Your audience can't see me, but it's because (laughs) I have a painting in the attic. And the painting is what ages, not me. Yeah, I've got a painting behind you, actually. So, yeah, that's for sure. I'm a person. Yeah, you're the Dorian Gray of PR, then, is what you're telling us. That's right. So tell us about starting up. What um, prompted you to start an agency? What sort of business did you specialize in? And how has it progressed over the years? You know, I have to tell you, um, a lot of people look at adversity and think about the sky is falling, not the opportunity of how we improve. And I'm taking a long way of saying that it takes discomfort to get us to move, to change, to go forward. And we all say, woe is me, let's not do that. But it's such a positive thing. I was the head of uh, PR and marketing for what became Fox Sports. And honestly, they decided I was going to manage a regional sports network, not the national. And I said, well, you don't really need me then. I've got full staff. I'm not important. They go, oh, yeah, you're right. So I spent, you know, a few weeks looking at new corporate gigs. Um, Nothing bad about it. But I, I was talking to Universal Studios Tour about becoming their CMO. They said, it's great. We start every day between 7 and 7.30 a.m. And we're done by 7 or 7.30 p.m., but we give you a car. 
And I had three small boys at home and I said, oh, no, 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 no. So I thought until I get the next corporate gig, let me call up some friends in the business and see what they might need to consult for a bit. In five weeks, I got five clients. I had no idea what I'm doing. I would I would get up in the morning, go to the office in the house, start working. And by one o'clock, I'd make it to the kitchen. And I'd say to my wife, oh, look, there's a sink full of dishes. And she'd say to me, get out of my house. <laughs> so <laughs> after, after a few months of that, it was like, okay, time to hang out a shingle. This is the universe talking to us. And that's how we began. And I hired old staff and we've been off and going since then. Fantastic. And did, did you specialized in sports and cable TV at the start? And then you've sort of moved on and to technology, ad tech, blockchain, stuff like that. Is that, is that a good uh, summation? The spirit of an entrepreneur is when someone asks you if you can do something, the only answer is yes, of course I can. And then you say, now, how the heck do I do that? So I had, um, I had always been in sports and entertainment, launching Lifetime, being at HBO for seven years, then coming to the regional sports networks, what became Fox Sports Net. And so I launched a regional sports channel in San Diego, Channel 4 Padres, which was very exciting. But I also took on something that did statistical remultiplexing, about as technical as you can get. And that client, we got onto the front page of the Wall Street Journal in three weeks of coming on board. It was so exciting. It was the beginning of digital television, and it had huge implications for everyone. Bob, you just taught us a new word there. you got to repeat that one. Statistical remultiplexing. So think of Think of how we are able to get more value by packing things into smaller spaces. And a, a farm is worth so much, it's one house on all this land. A, a series of houses on that land is worth more. A skyscraper with apartments is worth more. A train car that can fit many people, including standing, is worth more. And so as you packetize, information, digital information into smaller spaces, statistically, you have to have a plan for reconnecting all those pieces. Got Interesting it. thought. Interesting yeah, thought. Yeah. What do you think is the most dense video that we watch on television? A close-up of a kiss or a football game? Mm, there you go. We're learning something. This is good. We like to have uh, learning moments on the podcast. Go ahead. Pick one or the other. Um, <laughs> which, which is it? Um, I'm going to say football. Yes, you think that. But actually, if you think about it, the field doesn't change. The crowd doesn't change. There's a lot of information that is static and you have small people running. A close-up of a kiss is incredibly dense your slow movement, and it's a lot of close-up that keeps changing. That is a much more dense image. So statistical remultiplexing has huge means for what you need to do in a cable plant to carry all information. We've seen an explosion in channels, an explosion. And now we have streaming over the internet in addition to cable TV. Wow. It's, yeah. um, it's digital. It's changed our world. 
we'll talk about that a bit when we chat about the NFL because um, that's going to be interesting with Amazon coming in and being a player there. Now, over the yeah. years, you've worked with some amazing people. Dan Aykroyd, Jim Belushi, John Landis. T- quickly tell us those stories. I have a great story. So Dan Aykroyd was the you know major star, and he was great friends with Paul Allen, who owned Charter, which today is the second largest cable operator in the country. And he, they used to play music together and rock out. And, um, and Dan would call up the CEO and COO of Charter. So I was pitching Charter. I really wanted to handle them. It was a remake of another system that they had bought. And the, and the COO wasn't interested in anything I had to say. She said, you know, Bob, I'd love to work with you. And we're getting these calls from Dan Aykroyd and we're suits. We don't know how to respond to Hollywood. I said, oh, 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 I got that. Because I had handled the Academy Awards for two years as their PR person when I was starting out. And I call up Dan Aykroyd. I go, Dan, I know you're calling Charter. What's up? He says, I just want to see them succeed. How can I help? I said, well, we're starting this thing called On Demand. And most people don't know what that is. And original programming would really drive that adoption forward. He says, oh, well, I'm doing a concert in Ottawa with Jim Belushi, kind of a Blues Brothers kind of thing. And I said, that's great. Why don't we film that and we can offer it on demand to charter customers exclusively? He said, great. So I got to produce Dan Aykroyd in this music video and in the commercials. And then I came back to charter and I said, look, he is loves this company. We should use him as a spokesperson. So we hired John Landis. I supervised John Landis to produce Dan Aykroyd in a series of commercials for uh, Charter, but it was a great, great experience and one of the smartest, most inventive men I have ever, ever worked with. Yeah, fantastic, fantastic stories. Tell us about the agency now, Bob. How many people have you got and how has it grown over the years? Yeah, so, you know, it's very interesting. The recession in 2008 changed everything. I went from 15 people to five people. I was getting $15,000 a month retainers and then they cut to five or they went away. I turned to my family and I said, we're not living out of savings. We're cutting costs wherever we can. Our staff went from 15 to five people and we learned how to do more with less. And since that time, I have stayed lean and mean. Today we're 10 people. We have higher retainer fees again. Uh, our minimum, I'll just say, is twelve thousand five hundred a month, and most of our clients are significantly more than that. And we work with freelancers. We have an office in New York, in Manhattan, uh, with one person who is the former head of IR for Hearst Corporation, and when it was publicly traded. And we are ten people, and I don't plan to get much bigger if I can avoid it. It's, you know, the obligation of a salary, whether business is good or bad, everyone wants that salary. And my feeling is when you have people, you want to keep them, you keep them happy, you pay them fairly, but you really treat them right and empower them. Yeah, that's interesting perspective. And you've, you'll have seen a few recessions over the years, a few economic ups and downs. Oh, yeah. As we look at where we are now, we've got obviously inflation. We've got, you know, people, are we going to have a recession? Are we not? It's very confusing these days. But 
What's your advice to agency owners, you know, in that respect? Because you, you mentioned the way you, you reacted and you've stuck with that. What, what would you say the two or three things pe- people should be watching out for over the next six to nine months? Yeah, I think, first of all, we are going to see, although, you know, we're talking about recession and inflation and my business is off the hook. We have yeah. clients we're putting off for months that want to come on board because we don't have the bandwidth and we're actually hiring another person right now. Um, we have four people with either MBAs or graduate degrees from the University of, Our- of University of USC, University of Southern California, Annenberg School of Communications. So we like really higher educated, more mature people that are there. Number one, when it comes to reviewing your staff, who is just really bright, cheery, friendly, has a can-do attitude, wants to help. Whether their skills are up to snuff or not, those personalities mean more to have a, a positive environment for everyone. I had to let go, I learned, people that are nasty, I don't care how good they are. They're not worth it for your corporate culture. They're not worth it for your client culture. And you want to make sure that people are getting it and collaborative. Yeah, I think uh, that's a good um, point, a good philosophy. You can teach people skills, but you can't teach them the right attitude. And I think that's a very, very, very good um, tip. So, yeah. yeah. Exactly. So, how do you see it? You've, you're celebrating 25 years. How do you see it progressing? What's your plans? You, you, uh, Looking for an exit? Are you looking for what, what's going? What's going to happen in year twenty six? Yeah, I have three sons, and all of them have the philosophy: I want to work for anyone but dad. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not it's not going to be a legacy growth. Um, I think down the road, you know, one of the things that we did in two thousand five that really helped us during the recession was we made an alliance and I think every independent agency must be in an alliance group with other international PR agencies. Ours is called the WIN PR group. And, you know, no matter what, America is the biggest market in the world. And we had our partners in Europe provide feeder symbols for feeder clients to us from Europe who wanted to be in the US. You need to have that stream of onboarding coming from somewhere and find those alliances that way. Yeah, there's a, there's a bunch of those global networks, aren't there? And uh, Win PR Group is yours. So, uh, yeah, interesting yeah. stuff. So, All right, Bob, listen, happy uh, 25th. That's fantastic to hear your stories. And we'll get your input on the uh, newsy uh, items coming up. But uh, good to chat to you. Talking of bright, cheery, friendly, can-do attitude, Frank, over to you, sir. eBay, yes. their comms manager. He, this is an August story, isn't it? Silly season yeah. story, but it's quite, it's quite, it's quite fun, isn't it? It is funny. Uh, so Scott Overland um, is a communications exec at eBay. He was vacationing with his family in Rehoboth Beach, Delaware, a beautiful part of the country, by the way. Uh, and he was out to dinner and found a purple-colored pearl in his meal. Thank goodness didn't bite down on it without looking, but um, he found this and turns out it's a rare thing. This is where it gets interesting. He used his skills from his job to research it and to realize that every time this had popped up, it had uh, been a local story 
And since then, he has been featured on or interviewed uh, USA Today, Yahoo, Southern Living, Fox News, The New York Post, The Food Network, you name it. And he's even fielded some calls from New Zealand and Hong Kong and the Middle East. And um, it's a really interesting story. So he's been juggling his day job and uh, doing some interviews about the Pearl since then. And now he's even on to a round of follow-up stories. So interesting way in that he has used his uh, his professional skills to uh, to talk about this fun story from vacation. Is he going to sell the pearl on eBay? That would be tying it well, up neatly, wouldn't it? He said his his daughter is a fan of it, so um, she oh, might be quite be angry gift. at him. She oh, might yeah. be quite angry at him if uh, if he does sell it. Bob, I suppose what that goes to show is you're always on as a PR pro, aren't you? And uh, whilst you're not necessarily supposed to be the story, it's very hard not to see those opportunities, yeah? When we get these black swan moments, the real question is what is the sustainability of what we've created? So here you have a, a guy who is talented at what he's done. He has this phenomenal viral, can he maintain and become an influencer on social media and make some income for himself? How can he benefit eBay, his employer? What is he going to do as that next step? And that's the challenge. When you become a one hit wonder, how do you sustain that career and that magic that you first started? Yeah, for sure. Have you ever had something like that happen when you've been traveling where it's like, oh, I'm on holiday, but I just can't resist it. I've got to, I've got to uh, get my skills going here. Never. I'm on holiday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's fair. We all need a bit of work-life balance for sure. So, yeah. Frank, it's, uh, it's nearly here, NFL season, and um, it's going to be a bit different this year with the broadcast situation. But first of all, a bit of sad news about the head of comms at one of the big teams um, who's, who sadly passed away this weekend. Yeah, sad news to report. Jason Jenkins, who was SVP of Communications and Community Affairs for the Miami Dolphins, uh, died suddenly last Saturday after a medical emergency. Um, the team announced his death at the halftime of uh, one of the preseason games against the Eagles and uh, also tweeted out a statement from, uh, the, from the team CEO. Uh, Jenkins had worked at the team since 2009, which is a, is a pretty long tenure in terms of uh, sports PR and communications. And he previously worked for the San Francisco 49ers, Lehigh University, and Texas Southern University. So some sad news to start out with talking about the NFL kickoff. Um, I would say in terms of marketing around the NFL's first week of the season, which is next weekend, uh, starts out Thursday night with uh, the Buffalo Bills, one of the favorites for the title this year, playing the Los Angeles Rams, who are the defending world champion. It's always fun Come to on, watch. Come on, you're not going. You're not going with this world champion thing, are you? It's only one country, Frank. Well, I, yeah, you know, I'm I'm sticking with it until until the <laughs> Canadian Football League has a better team. I think we're we're on safe ground. <laughs> so, uh, always interesting to see what the beer brands do. Bud Light specifically uh, always has some interesting campaigns to start the year. Uh, this year, they're doing some kickoff beers, um, which feature. Some team uh, logos and, and lettering and branding on the side of the cans. And always interesting to see, and we'll have more for our readers later this week on this, uh, what the soft drink brands like Pepsi are doing uh, as well as the sack brands too. So uh, we'll keep an eye on those. And also the 
whatever social media twists come out of the first weekend. Yeah, for sure. And Amazon is going to be one of the primary broadcasters um, of Thursday Night Football, isn't it? So that's a big, big deal. That's a change. That's a change. And I think a lot of fans are looking to always see what the differences are in the broadcast, you know, whether it's the the booth or or even things like the sound. I'll give you an example. Uh, when, when Apple started doing baseball games this year, the sound of the games is just yeah. terrific. Uh, and I think a lot of people will be willing to see if, if there are enhancements to the broadcast experiences. Amazon picks it up too or not. So that's one thing I think a lot of people yeah, will be Bob, watching. Um, football is one of those still appointments of view things, isn't it, where you can still sell big TV ads against it. But, but viewer habits are changing. People are consuming the games in different ways. What are your reflections on it as someone who's been involved in it for decades and seen the, seen the progression? Yeah, so, you know, first and foremost, let's just talk about sports rights. The NFL is doing more to, and the NCAA is doing more to drive up the cost of television for all of us. Um, the billions of dollars, look at, um, you know, what's happening with the Big Ten, who's now getting $7 billion over seven years for college football. Um no one, the NFL has driven up what television is. We're talking about runaway inflation, and yet no one is saying, let's hold, you know, never mind gas prices. How about just the cost of TV? So, uh, sports is probably what's keeping broadcast stations alive. It's not the news, news is ubiquitous everywhere. As long as a broadcaster has um, football or college football, or the NBA, they are going to be able to charge retransmission fees that are out the wazoo and the consumer pays for it. I love the fever that we all have for our favorite teams. And Frank, I'm with you. America is a world champion and anyone is a champion in America is a world champion. Um, but I'll also throw something else out on a different switch. Um, the fellow that died at uh, Jason, I, Jason Jenkins. Yeah, Jason Jenkins. He was a class act. He was an unbelievable leader. I think as a as someone in PR, I have a regret that I never knew him. He was about values. He was about courage. He was about ethics. And he was a fantastic dresser. He had a great deal of style. He was quite an individual. And I think we could have all, we've lost a lot from his loss, and we could all learn from what he has said. Yeah, well said, Bobby. He was certainly, uh, he was well-loved in his community, and uh, people really, we're really shocked by that news at the weekend. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's interesting what you say. I mean, you've got all these new players coming in, right? Amazon, and then you've got DAZN in other sports. You've got, so not only is uh, the, the rights are more competitive than ever, so they're paying more and more, because every broadcaster knows that that's where the action is, right? So, for the leagues, I suppose, um, it's happy days. But like you say, the, the cost does get passed on to the consumer at the end of the day. Yeah, so, so I'll just point out technology. We are now seeing the newest trend in television, which is live sports streaming on a massive scale. And live streaming requires all kinds of new innovations in order to not have that delay, that buffering, all the other things that are anathema to us. So live sports is actually driving technology innovation and changing our lives in massive ways um, 
which I think is very exciting. Yeah, for sure. And I'm just going to throw one rebuttal out to both of you. The, the true global sporting competition, of course, is going to be starting this November, the World Cup which is uh, the global event. And uh, I guess we'll find out who's best between the US and England because we're playing on uh, Black Friday. That's going to be a hell of a day, but we'll come back to that in a later show. (laughs) Frank, tell us about Be Real because it's another interesting way to reach customers. Tell us what it is first. Well, and I would just preempt that by saying look for a lot more coverage on this uh, in the coming months as we take a look at a lot of platforms that are emerging and developing and um, uh, we're trying, we at PR Week and, and also a campaign, our sister magazine, are, are trying to figure these things out and add some advice and some, some info as, as everybody else does. So Be Real is uh, it's a platform in which every account has two minutes to finish a post uh, and that person or that user can only post once per day. Uh, if they post outside of those two minutes, then Be Real puts a label on it that shows how many minutes or hours it came in. And the, the point of it is for users to be authentic in what they're posting, and I guess quick-witted or, or, or that as well, but authentic and then not spending hours creating TikTok videos or Instagram posts or, or things of that nature. Now, it is it has seen a lot of growth. It has uh, shown a 315% increase in downloads this year to about 43 million, according to Aptopia. Uh, and more than half of its users in the U.S. are millennials, but it also has wide appeal to Gen Z. So um, what it does not have is a real advertising and monetization strategy at this point. But that doesn't mean that brands are not uh, trying it out. Some of them that are early adopters are Elf Cosmetics, Chipotle, uh, the most recent Scream movie that was distributed by Paramount Pictures. Uh, and, and some of them are... are sticking their toe into the water by adding promo codes. The cosmetics company offered uh, the first 150 friends it had on the platform a free skincare kit. Uh, so uh, brands are really early adopting this. There's a lot more to be seen on this platform, and it's something to keep an eye on about whether they really open their arms to brands and companies and marketers, and, and I think also how influencers use the platform. So yeah. keeping an eye on a lot of different aspects of this. Build it and they will come is sort of the philosophy, isn't it? Bob, you'll have seen loads of technologies over the years. You, I think you, you, your agency yeah. plays in ad tech, doesn't it? Blockchain, NFTs, etc. What's your take when a new thing comes out like this? You know, uh, it, it is going to be a highly copied technology. We'll see it first roll out on Instagram. Uh, and I think that the, the challenge for Be Real is how to stay fresh and relevant when its basic offering is going to be knocked off from the TikToks, but Instagram first. And I think that's really yeah, the yeah. challenge. And it's always good to, you know, clients want advice on this stuff, don't they? They're thirsty for advice on new tools or platforms or social platforms. So that's where agencies can yes. come in really helpful, be really helpful. Frank, tell us about Instacart getting in on the VMAs. That sounded like a fun thing to a fun stunt, if that's the right way to put it. Fun idea here. Uh, Fun idea here. I think one thing that a lot of people don't know about award shows, but I'm betting Bob knows because he's L.A. based, um, is that once you get in the award show, there's a no outside food policy. And that means that attendees and other celebrities can get pretty hungry at these events. So Instacart, the uh, food delivery service, saw an opening here. 
had a dress created by the designers three is four for the Saturday Night Live actress Chloe Fineman. It was actually an ad for the grocery delivery app and, and contained uh, pouches full of snacks like chips and candy and dried fruit. Now there's a, this was for the Video Music Awards that were on MTV on Sunday night. And it's an interesting way of getting uh, the brand and, and the product onto the show, but also onto the, the red carpet intro, which a lot of people watch as well. So I think some good creative uh, thinking here by Instacart. Uh, they worked with Droga5 on this. Yeah, very creative. But what do you think? Would you have allowed that in your day when you're looking after these awards ceremonies? Is it the sort of thing you can only do once, right? <laughs> well, but, you know, think of Droga5. I mean, big shout out to them for the concept and the outstanding execution, really, that made it catchy and, uh, and and got us talking about it. All of us want to create those buzz-worthy moments, whether it's a streaker running across the Academy Awards <laughs> stage, which we all, you know, and remember uh, which celebrity was it? Was it Peter Sellers who said, oh, he's, there's his shortcomings. <laughs> um, I'm just... <laughs> We all love those moments. And what agencies do best is bring our creativity to create a new narrative of that moment to get people to talk and move things forward. This will not be the last time someone hijacks the um, the red carpet, is it? Yeah, it's a great idea. And you're, you're absolutely right. It's creativity at the end of the day, isn't it? And it's really nothing... You can't label it as advertising or media or PR. It's just a great earned, it's probably earned media really, isn't it? Because they're not paying, maybe a bit of digital paid in there. And uh, just it's a, a fine example of modern creativity that any agency could do. But, uh, you know, you're right, Droga did a, gr a great job there. And the, those firms are still at the top of their game when it comes to things like that. So well done to them and, and uh, well done to Instacart. On to a slightly more serious topics, Frank. You know, we've spent the last two or three years where the whole of the pharma industry has been working together to get us through COVID, get the vaccines here, the boosters, etc. But now Moderna is suing Pfizer. So what's going on? Yeah, so Moderna has sued Pfizer and its German partner on the vaccine, BioNTech, uh, basically claiming that they copied Moderna's patented mRNA technology for the COVID-19 vaccine that they jointly created. Uh, in a statement, Moderna said uh, that it expects to be compensated for the two companies using its uh, patented technologies in their vaccine. It updated its pledge on March 8th that it initially made this is Moderna, to not enforce patents uh, over the vaccine. It, it, in March, it said it would never enforce its COVID-19 vaccine patents against manufacturers in a list of 92 low- and middle-income countries. Uh, however, the company said at that time that outside of those countries, it expects those, using, those companies using Moderna patent technologies to respect its IP. So there's a lot of ramifications for this, obviously, uh, when you think about this. Now, just uh, today, which is Wednesday when we're recording this, um, the FDA has approved the updated Pfizer and Moderna uh, vaccines uh, that ward off the Omicron variant uh, of COVID-19. It's just going to be really fascinating to see how this, this impacts vaccines going forward. Uh, if it impacts the development of other drugs and, and a lot of other things. Very, very uh, significant lawsuit, I think. 
Yeah, the days of the farmer co's playing nicely in the sandpit seem to be over on that one for sure. So, and uh, but both respective comms teams will no doubt be furiously um, working a way to get their narrative out there. But uh, so we'll follow how that one plays out. Let's finish off today by talking about ESG and purpose because that's uh, a massive topic and has been and um, will continue to be. But some Republican office holders are pushing back on this, Frank, especially with state-operated uh, investments or state-funded? Absolutely. So this is a real watch-this-space-developing issue, uh, and I think a big part of it is you see some of the success that, that Republican politicians, prominently Florida's Governor Ron DeSantis, have had uh, rallying their own base against what they're calling woke companies. And that might be companies that, and this is across a variety of topics, but it could be companies that um, embrace the right to women's health care. It could be the companies that embrace uh, LGBT and trans rights. It could be companies that have invested a lot in uh, environmental and sustainability uh, issues. So you have these situations where Republican governors in certain states or even just state officials are banning, say, state pension fund managers uh, from incorporating environmental, social, and governance factors into their investments. Or you have a situation in Texas where uh, the investment group BlackRock um, and others are, um, are sort of barred from doing business with the state because they uh, in Texas officials' words, boycott energy companies and have focused more on green energy. And you see a similar step in West Virginia. And so this is going to be a really – this is going. This is a developing story because officials in these states have, have found a message that, worked for, for, that works for them in rallying against these private sector organizations, uh, which they may not have in the past. And so will they continue to be this aggressive? Will it continue to work for them? And also, I think just the broader topic of what companies should be doing in terms of purpose, in terms of ESG, should their primary focus just be on making a profit for their investors, or should they be uh, bringing in the concerns of the community at large, or the country, or the environment, or however you want to look at it? So this is yeah. this is uh, this is not something we're going to have an answer on this week. This is a topic that's going to continue to to develop over the next couple of years. Very complex topic, yeah. It's also something that is about the pendulum swinging. You know, Thomas Jefferson, when he was president, lamented that policy followed technology. Technology was always ahead of policy. We're seeing all this C CSR, corporate social responsibility programs, step up as a general consciousness that people have expectations of their corporations. And now we're having politicians completely react and, and try to stop this innovation of change of corporate mandates to policy. They want to control the policy conversation. And I think this is about trying to hold on to your own. Look at how Ron DeSantos in Florida completely slapped Disney um, when they stood up to Don't Say K. Yeah, if you, so you mentioned BlackRock, uh, Frank. Larry Fink, CEO there, is, has said they will not invest in companies that are not um, doing ethic, you know, what they consider to be ethical business or purposeful business, and they're the biggest investment company in the world. So this is a big deal, and if they're getting frozen out, there's, that can go two ways, can't they? They can double down or they can sort of ease back a bit. We saw Procter & Gamble's CMO um, or chief brand officer, you know, seeming to royal back a little bit. Um, but then on the other hand, 
you know, a lot of the, the, the argument behind purposeful business is actually profitable. So it's, it's a very complex argument. We'll be talking about it a lot at the PR Decoded in Chicago in October, October 11th and 12th and our Purpose Awards. And all of these things have got to be played into the, the mix when you're coming up with your strategies, when you're working out how to do business and no, no industry and no um, comms team and no CEO and C-suite is immune from this. So it's really complex stuff. And this is where PR pros, frankly, are stepping up and helping out at that top table. So um, an interesting development, and we'll uh, discuss that more uh, moving forward. Don't you think politicians are the consummate PR pros? They are throwing out messages in hopes of, of resonating. Of course, it seems like they're just dropping whatever they can say and seeing what catches fire, like our, our viral moment. But I love watching the political flow because it is consummate PR. I, I would just say this is a really interesting topic in the wake of the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act, because that is bound to create a yeah. lot of investment, uh, whether it's from the government or for private companies in, in green technology uh, and in yeah. sustainability technology. And so, uh, look, I, I would make the case that investing in green tech is, is good business, that it is, is going to have a return down the line. So uh, I, I'm sure a lot of companies are very keen to be investing in these various technologies, and uh, depending on when they may pay off down the line, how quickly all of those details and does that mean that they wouldn't that they would be less likely to invest in states that are taking this stance and they'll go to states that are more um, amenable to it so yeah good point and uh, yeah one that we'll definitely um, be following here bob it's been great to chat to you enjoy your afternoon at the beach with your team it sounds idyllic and um, congrats on the 25th anniversary really good to catch up with you thank you both so very very much Good to chat. Thanks, Frank, as always. And uh, don't forget, you've got uh, till the 9th of September to get your best places to work entries in. Please do uh, get moving on that. You haven't got long. Uh, PR Week Awards, the Oscars of the PR industry. The first deadline for entries there is the 28th of September. Final deadline, the 14th of October. That will come around quickly. So uh, make sure you're um, up to speed with that. Our 40 Under 40 celebration, one of the best nights of the year. That's going to be in New York City on the 27th of October. You can still get hold of our salary survey premium edition. It's been selling like hotcakes as everybody works out uh, what the big trends are and they move into 2023 planning. And our student of the year, we're going to launch the competition for that next week on uh, Wednesday. And we'll have an interesting feature that uh, catches up with some of our students of the year over the past 20 years. So a really interesting read, that one. And I mentioned PR Decoded and the Purpose Awards in Chicago, 11th and 12th of October. But that's all we've got time for on this week's podcast. We'll see you next time on the PR Week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the PR Week. To find more episodes, visit prweek.com.